Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for tuning in with me today. If you want to contact me, you can do that at the ab.bc.pc at gmail.com. All right, ladies, we are in the final stretch of not only ending the book of Deuteronomy, but we are also finishing up the Pentateuch or the first section of the Bible. So great job in sticking with me. We're taking a look at chapters 31 through 34 of Deuteronomy today. Moses had just pleaded for the new generation of Israelites to renew their vows to the Lord before they enter into the promised land. Chapter 31 starts with Moses saying to the children of Israel, I am now 120 years old. Let's stop there and reflect on his 120 years. The first 40, Moses was in Egypt. We see that in Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. Then if you remember, he flees Egypt because he kills an Egyptian and Pharaoh seeks to kill him. His next 40 years, he is a shepherd in Midian. And this is found in Exodus 2.15. And there he sees a burning bush and God calls him to go and get his people. He addresses Pharaoh when he is 80 years old. And this is found in Exodus chapter 7 verse 7. They leave Egypt and the last 40 years Moses is with the children of Israel in the wilderness until his death. There is also a description of Moses' life and events found in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, where there we find Stephen preaching his sermon before he is stoned to death, and he clearly defines the three segments of 40 years. We know that Moses is not allowed to enter into the promised land and he sinned by not obeying God with speaking to the rock. Instead, he hid it and did not sanctify or set apart God as holy in the eyes of the children of Israel. So God's man to replace Moses was Joshua, who is first mentioned in Exodus 17 with the first fighting against Amalek. This was the time when Moses needed his hands raised in order for them to win. And then Joshua became Moses' right-hand man through the years. Even though they did not know it then, God was preparing Joshua all along for the next role of leadership. Moses tells the people to be strong and courageous and to fear not, and to not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God goes with them, and God will not fail them or forsake them. And that's found in verse 6. And then Moses calls Joshua and said to him in front of all Israel and told him to be strong and courageous for you must go with these people in the land that the Lord swore to their fathers, which are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that this land God was going to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. Then the Lord will be with you, and he will not fail you nor forsake you. Fear not. And then Moses' add for Joshua, and neither be dismayed. Moses then wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, which carried the Ark of the Covenant. And then he spoke to all the elders as well. And Moses commanded that every seven years during the year of release, when land and people and debt are released, which is during the Feast of Tabernacles, which reminds them of their 40 years of wandering in the desert, all Israel shall come together and hear the law so that they and the strangers within them may learn to fear the Lord their God and observe all the words of the law. 
Keep in mind, these people did not have books or radio or TV or Google or the internet to get information. It had to be passed down through the spoken word. That's one of the reasons why the family was to teach to their children and why many Israelites would memorize God's word. Then verse 14 says, The Lord said unto Moses, Behold, your days approach that you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tabernacle of the congregation that I, God, may give him a charge. And they went. This time the Lord appeared in the pillar of the cloud and it stood at the front of the tabernacle. God first charged Moses by telling him that the children of Israel will not be faithful. So Moses was to write this song. The wording in the King James Version is interesting. It says, Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it to the children of Israel, and put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. This wording makes me think that God had the song, and Moses just wrote it down from him, versus the fact that Moses just came up with this song to write for the people. During COVID, when we did not meet together for church, I made videos of a hymn a day to keep the blues away. I'd sing a hymn, but first I'd do a little explanation of how it got written. Some were laborious processes and others were able to just sit down and to write that hymn as if God spoke to them. It seems this is what Moses did because in verse 22, it says that Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then verse 23 says that God spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, and charged him and said, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore unto them, and I will be with you. So the Israelites have seen both Moses and God transfer the authority of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Verse 24 says that Moses finished his writing of the book of the law and commanded the Levites who carry the Ark of the Covenant and they were to carry the law inside of the Ark because the people are rebellious and stiff-necked. He then gathered all the elders and all the tribes, the officers, and spoke the words of this song. And then chapter 32 is the song. I want to encourage you that if your Bible writes this chapter in a paragraph format, that you try and find a second Bible, one that shows poetry in a poetic form and in the lines that Hebrew poetry are written. That will help you see the flow of the song better. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. It usually does not rhyme, but many times there are words that look alike or sound alike, and most are written in parallel lines. Sometimes that's opposite themes. Sometimes it's similar lines in order to emphasize the point that's being made. These lines then are placed into a paragraph type of form. There are tons of books to explain poetry of the Hebrews, and we can't take the time today to delve deep into it. But tune in when we read through the Psalms and the Proverbs, and I'll address this much more in detail. Well, verses 1 through 4 of the song describe God and his various attributes. Then it goes into the unfaithfulness of Israel, and yet God still pursued them. And then in verse 15, the name Jeshurun is used, and it is a poetic name for Israel. It is also found in chapter 33 in verses 5 and 26. 
Again, the song says that Israel rejected God, which leads to verse 19. So this time the Lord spurned them and brought the curses upon them. And verse 21 says, So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. The Apostle Paul makes mention of this verse in his letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 19, as God is bringing in the Gentiles into the family of God. Then there will be a time that God will relent And then it goes into more attributes of God, and it ends with rejoice, for God will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Chapter 44, Moses and Joshua spoke the words to the song of the people, and Moses said to the people, Set your heart unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which you shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of the law. For it's not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing, knowing the word of God, you shall prolong your days in the land when you go over the Jordan to possess it. Music is a tool that's given by God. In this instance, it's used as a reminder for the children of Israel, as well as a witness to God against the children of Israel. As in Exodus, after the crossing of the Red Sea miracle, it was a way of responding to what God has done. Music can also encourage us and it can build us up. It gives us a way to respond even if it's in sorrow to the Lord our God. Then chapter 3 continues with God telling Moses that it's time. So chapter 33 gives Moses last words to the people of Israel and it's done as a blessing. Verse 1 says, And this is the blessing of Moses. The man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. The phrase, the man of God, is used a lot for a prophet of God in the Old Testament. In verse 3, Moses starts off reminding them all that God loved the people and all his saints are in his hands. Then Moses blessed the various tribes of Israel. If you notice, Simeon is not mentioned here. There are various thoughts of why that is. One is that it was so small that it is now included into Judah, but that doesn't seem correct since they are given an allotment of land and they are mentioned later on in the books of history. One thing I have noticed is that because Joseph had two sons in Egypt that Jacob blessed as sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, That technically makes 14 sons, when you include Levi and Joseph. Throughout the Bible, when we see the 12 tribes of Israel's names, one or two of the names are excluded, and they never seem to be the same one or two. In this blessing, Joseph is mentioned, and then at the end, both of his sons. So technically, this listing has 13 lists. In chapter 7, where the 12 tribes of 144,000 people are mentioned, Joseph, Levi, and Manasseh are all mentioned, and then Ephraim and Dan are not mentioned. Someday I want to research this with a little more detail, but it can't be today. The blessings praise the eternal God who is their refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms of the Lord. Then verse 29 Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, 
And who is the sword of your excellency? And your enemies will be found liars to you, and you shall tread upon their high places. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, and the Lord showed him the land that they would inhabit. Moses died there in the land of Moab, and God buried him, and no one knows where. The children of Israel wept for Moses for thirty days until their time of mourning had ended. Verse 9, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the children of Israel listened or heard that Shema, heard and listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Deuteronomy concludes with an epitaph of Moses. There was never another prophet like him whom the Lord knew face to face. The question is asked, if Moses died, how can the writing continue? There are two main thoughts. Either God told Moses what to write before he died, or Joshua son of Nun finished it. I personally don't have a problem with either view. You know, ladies, the task of taking the promised land was a different task than wandering through the wilderness. And it was time for a new leader. And God had trained and prepared both men for the task at hand. Moses was given a gift. He knew when he was going to die. I don't know if you've ever read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but the author Stephen R. Covey says so much of our lives are filled with urgent but unimportant stuff. But wise people prioritize the important and make sure to do it by organization. An example of that is our third son's baby book. That is extremely important, or at least to me but not urgent, so I didn't start it until way after he entered school. Thankfully, I had kept important dates on old calendars, and I had VBS handprints or Sunday school handprints, but one whole page I had no idea how to fill out anymore. So I wrote my son an apology letter, telling him that we loved him and that life was so busy that I couldn't keep up. Covey then said, the place to start in seeing what is important to you is to write your own eulogy. What do you want people to say about you when you die? That shows you what you really care about. From there, he has a system of how to apply it to your life so that you live purposeful lives. I think the saying goes, two things we can count on is death and taxes. Did I get that right? Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verses 27 through 28 says, It's appointed unto men or unto all people once to die, and after that to face judgment. It's interesting to me that Moses is referenced to have written Psalm 90. It is labeled a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And in verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How are you living your days? Are they filled with meaningless stuff and activities, or do you live purposefully? Are you living in a way to help prepare the next generation to live well? Do you have your things in order in case you were to die soon? Do you have a will? Do you have funeral plans taken care of? The most important, 
Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you prepared to enter the heavenly promised land? Even though Deuteronomy focuses on the renewal of the law, as Hill and Walton say in the book, A Survey of the Old Testament, the fact that the law is not an example of the gracious provision of salvation does not mean it should not be considered as an act of grace. Throughout this book, we see God's grace. We see him reaching down and trying to make a way for us to come to him. We have seen, number one, God is holy. We've seen, two, all people have sinned, even Moses. Number three, our sin makes a division between us and God. Number four, we need an altar or a sacrifice to enter into his presence. The law itself could not do it, but the law prepares us and shows us our sin. But the law prepares also for the Son of Man, the Son of God, to come and to be that sacrifice. And his name is Jesus. We have seen through these first five books of the Bible that Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the prophet that's better than Moses. Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. And Jesus became our curse when he died on the cross and he took our sin upon himself so that we now have access to God the Father. We who were cursed can now see the righteousness of God because Jesus took our curse when he died on the tree. Since Jesus paid the price, all we need to do is confess our sin and believe in who and what Jesus is and ask him to forgive us of our sins and enter into our hearts, and he will. Today, ladies, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let us let God circumcise our hearts through Jesus so that we will obey. Until next time. And thank you so much for listening.